Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. You know, I, I was talking to a friend recently and he said something and it has stuck with me for months now. And he was just talking about how the, the heart of generosity that God's placed in him. And, and he, wasn't, he wasn't boasting. We were just talking about how God can change somebody so drastically. And because um, this person wasn't always this way. And he said, you know, when I hear of a need, I'm praying and I'm just hoping that God tells me to give. He said, when I hear that there's a need somewhere, I'm like just like a horse at a gate waiting to hear the pistol just waiting for God to tell me to give. I want so badly for Him to use me to give. But I don't want to give unless I'm supposed to because I don't want to take the place of someone else that was supposed to and I don't want to give something that's going to not be a blessing to somebody. You know, sometimes getting what you want can be a curse, not a blessing. I look back, man, just think about the prayers you prayed when you were 17. Seriously, if you were the product of your 17-year-old prayers, most of us right now would look so different than we do. I know I would. I'm so thankful I didn't get what I wanted at 17, but I get what I need at 38, and I get what he wants. I'm so thankful that he's aligning my wants to his, to where when I pray now, the desires of my heart line up with him because he put the desires of, his heart, of my heart in me. And that's, that's what he said, right? He said, he said that if we delight ourselves in him, he'll give us the desires of our heart. In other words, if we will find our delight in him, the things that we'll find inside of our heart that we want will line up with him. They'll actually be the things that he wants. And then we'll actually be praying and asking and agreeing for things that are his good pleasure to give to us. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I really am excited for some people in here this morning that I feel like that was a word for you about just that settling thing, and, and I just ask that, you know, don't, don't let that be crushed, don't let that die, um, don't let that, take that and just get alone with God and thank Him for it, and start thinking on that, and start thanking Him that He's good, that He loves, that He has a plan and a purpose, that, that He never intended for us to just barely make it. That was never His intention in life. It was never intended that you would just barely make it. It was always about living the life that Jesus died for you to live, in every circumstance, there's always a way to find him in it. Um, so welcome. Is there anyone here? It's the very first time coming. You've never been to Outreach Church before? Yeah? Could, it, it, all right. In front of you guys, in the back of your seat. Yeah, we're thankful that you're here. You guys are first time attenders and you woke up early on a day that you could have slept in, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we're thankful that you're here. We know that you could have gone anywhere this morning. You could have done anything this morning. You chose to come here. And we really do believe that everybody that comes here, that God's calling to be part of this family brings and carries something in them. And, um, so we're thankful you're here. There's a card in the front of your seat, the seat behind you in the back of that seat. If you want to fill that out before you leave and just drop it in one of these wood boxes that are by all the doors as you leave, it's so that we can email you seven times a day. Um, and call you at least three times every day, and, uh, or we'll send you an email once and see if there's anything we can help, because we just want to know if there's anything that we can do for you, and we want to thank you for coming. So if you have your Bibles, open to Second Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 6. We started talking about this last week. If you weren't here last week, the podcast is available. Um, I'd encourage you to listen to it. It was one of those messages that I started out intending to speak something else, and God kind of poured some new stuff out, so i got to go back and listen to it too. But from the feedback that I heard, it was awesome. I can say that humbly because it's not my words. 
I don't get up here with me. I've prayed that. When I, when I took this position as pastor, I said, God, I'll do it on one, on one condition, that you never leave me standing up there with my own words in my mouth. So if I ever come up here and just can't say anything and I go sit back down, that's probably why, because he didn't give me anything and I promise I'm not giving you me. That's the last thing you need. Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. Um, and he's, telling him, he's talking about the faith that was, that was passed down from generation to generation. And he says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So God, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you that it's alive, that it's living and breathing, that it's not just a read through it once and be done kind of thing, but, but that you speak to us through it. And Holy Spirit, I ask that as I speak this morning, it would be your words to my mouth. Father, I pray that our ears would be open to hear, that our minds would be able to comprehend, that we have the mind of Christ, that we would be able to understand and comprehend the things of you. That our hearts would be good soil. That we would receive the word of God as seed in our hearts and that it would produce fruit. God, that it would produce fruit in our lives, that a world that does not know you would taste and see that you're good because of the fruit of our lives. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we, um, we started talking last week about this, and I'm not going to recap all that stuff because I think I have a bunch of stuff that I need to get to in this today. But, um, but Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, listen, the, rekindle, I, I ask you to kindle afresh the gift that is in you from the laying on of my hands. And we talked about that a little bit last week. That, you know, some people have tried to take that and made a formula of that. That, you know, you, well, you receive gifts by the laying on of hands. Well, you do, unless God t- doesn't, right? Like, you can't put him, he's not a formula to be figured out. He's a father to be loved by. And so because of that, you can't just say, okay, well, this is how gifts get transferred then because it says the Spirit gives gifts as He wills. So if the Spirit wants you to have a gift through the laying on of hands, you'll have it that way. If He wants to visit you alone in your room and give it to you, you'll have it that way. But He does love to give good gifts to His children. That's the one formula we can take from the Word, right? He said if you ask, if, you're chill, if you being evil, when your children ask you for, fruit, for bread, you won't give them a stone. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit if you would just ask that he delights in giving good gifts, that it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom? We know all these things. God's a giver. It's who he is. God so loved the world that he gave. It's a revelation of his heart. He gave his son because he loved you, not so that he could. When we understand that, it changes the way we think. It seems like such a simple thing, but for so long I grew up thinking that God sent Jesus so that he could love me. And then I understood when I saw his heart, and I, you read it plainly in the Word, it says, because he loved me, he sent his Son. Not so that he could. That even before I knew that I was lovable, he knew that I was. That while I was yet in sin, before I did the first thing right, that he loved me, he called me. He sent his Son to die for me. And um, so, so we talked about that a little bit. He says he's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love, of power like it's this spirit within us that expects things to happen it's what i have i give right peter and john went to pray they met a blind man on the way all right he asked for alms held out his palms this is what peter did say (laughs) you think you don't remember stuff from kindergarten you do it's be careful what you say in front of your children because they hear what you're saying and they remember it a lot longer than you do that's why jesus said that you'll give account for every idle word spoken it's the things that we speak without actually thinking just casually 
Just be real careful that you don't give your opinion where the Word of God gives a fact. Real careful. I always shudder when I hear people say, I know what the Bible says, but... Because they're about to say something knowing that it's opposite of what the Word of God says. If you, if, you, if you find yourself doing that, just put your hand over your mouth a little bit. Stop at the butt. Um, but Peter and John go to pray and they see this blind guy and, and he's asking for something. He's asking for what the world values. He's asking for him. It's the most valuable thing he could ask for. He wants silver or he wants gold, preferably gold, right? And, and he sees Peter and Peter says, hey, look at us. And so he thinks, this man is going to give me what I'm asking for. Not understanding that Peter carried something so much greater than the silver or gold that he thought he wanted. He had something so much better. And Peter said, what I, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you. What did he understand? He understood what Jesus said to them. Jesus said, freely receive, freely give. In other words, I have something that was given to me. There's power inside of me. And because of that, in the name of Jesus the Nazarene, get up and walk. And he didn't just use words. It's so important that we understand that. He didn't just say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man stood up and walked. But it was when he actually believed what he said enough to act on it and risk looking foolish. And he reached down and grabbed the man by the hand. It says, and raising him up immediately, his legs and ankles began to straighten. It was when the way that he lived and the way that he acted lined up with the words that he spoke that it actually happened. It's not enough that in that moment. Now, I'm not saying that God would never have you just speak something and something happened. Jesus did before he calmed a storm with just speaking. But I am saying that at some point, what we do has to line up with what we say. That we have to believe what we say enough that it actually influences the things that we do. Otherwise, we're a hollow, resounding gong that's just annoying that rocks around with a bunch of words in a hollow life. And nobody likes that. And then what happens is, is you demonstrate this and because we loudly profess that we're Christians or we put bumper stickers on our car or because you know, we, we're known as Christian people, when people who don't know Jesus watch our lives and our mouths and our words sound so great but our lives look like everybody else's, then they join the crew of people that say that Christians are just hypocrites. But here's the thing. They wouldn't say that if somebody hadn't shown it to be true. And so when someone else comes along, you may be authentically living out the life of following Jesus and they hear your words. They've already labeled you as a hypocrite. They've already written you off because at one point in time, somebody else who claimed the same thing that you're claiming showed them with their lives that their words made no difference. And then the, the, the stereotype perpetuates. The way that's broken is when our actions line up with what we say. When the way that we live lines up with the words that come out of our mouths. When we don't just say to somebody something, we actually are willing to reach down and grab them by the hand and lift them up and bring them up. So, and then we talked about love. And we talked about that all this stuff is, is, is spoken in the context of giftings. He says, you know, stir up the gift that's in you by the laying of my, on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. In other words, there's a gifting inside of you, and I want you to stir that thing up. Kindle it. Remember we talked about kindling. It's these little pieces of wood that you light, and eventually you put bigger and bigger pieces on, and you're kindling this fire, and pretty soon what started out as tiny little pieces turns into this huge fire. So many people think, if, I, if God would call me to something so great and so giant, if I would have this position or that position, or if I would be asked to do this or that, I'd say, 
say yes in a heartbeat. If it was me and I was standing up on the top of the, of the cliff and I saw Goliath in the valley, I'd go cut his head off too, just like David did. But they don't understand the way that David got there with the confidence that he got there was because he was faithful to do the little things, the kindling, while he was out in the field on the backside, tending the sheep, doing the lowliest job in the family. That's where the kindling started and that, that fire got bigger and bigger to where any log God wanted to throw on would instantly be consumed by the fire because it started small and he said yes to the little things. And in doing so, he positioned himself to be able to say yes to the big. So with that gifting that's inside of you, look, don't walk around going, well, I feel like I have this gift. I'm not sure. Not timidly. And, and not, well, I, I guess I could, but I don't know if something, no, with power, expecting that something will happen. But don't go around always looking for something huge you never know when doing the smallest little thing may open the door for the biggest thing. It's amazing. I, I wonder how many people have missed their Goliath because they weren't faithful to their sheep. Because it can happen, right? Well, not if it's God's will. Listen. God's will and what actually happens depends a lot on the decisions that you make. Remember we talked about this a month ago. We need to remind ourselves of this, I guess. It's no bother for me to mention the same things to you over again. Paul said that. I can say it too. But we talked about this, that Samuel anoints Saul and he anoints David, the same prophet, same anointing, the same position, to do the same thing, to lead his people. Yet Saul obeys Samuel. I mean, I'm sorry, doesn't obey God and is because of fear of the people. He doesn't do what is asked of him. And Samuel comes to him and says perhaps some of the saddest words found in the Bible. And he says, today, God would have established you upon this throne forever. But because you have not listened, He's given His anointing to another. That's not God in heaven taunting Saul after the fact and saying, well, you know, Saul, if you'd have done what was right, I would have done this, trying to make him feel bad. That's God saying, this was my heart to do this, and because you didn't, I won't. Please don't ever fall for the lie that your life is just mapped out and that there's nothing you can do to mess it up or to change it. I promise you, if Saul could, you can And I promise you, if God said that to Saul, he meant it. It wasn't a taunt. It wasn't an after-the-fact, rub Saul in the wound. Not meaning it. He's not a man that he should lie. There's no shadow of turning in him. He said, listen. And how he can say there's no shadow of turning in him and say, I would have, but you didn't, so I didn't, was this. He's saying, my heart the whole time was, if you will obey me, I will do this. And because you didn't, I didn't. That's it. Simple. So we talked about love. Walking in love. Love is the thing that keeps giftings from being abused. How many times have people who've had a little bit of gifting used that gifting to be exalted into a position and then used that position to lord that over people and then because of the position they were in used it to abuse people, abuse things, abuse stuff and people walk away wounded all because somebody had a little bit of gifting and no character. All because they had a gift that wasn't surrendered and yielded to love. And so they used it to build their own kingdom rather than his kingdom. And they used people to build their own kingdom rather than to build his kingdom. And they saw people as things to use to get somewhere that they wanted to go rather than seeing themselves as a servant to be used by God to get the people where he wanted them to go. It's Jesus. 
It's him kneeling down in front of the man who's going to betray him and washing his feet, even knowing that evil had already entered into his heart. I mean, just think about Jesus, like, the example that he is, like the challenge for my life is like, I'm looking at this guy and I know it says, and Jesus knowing that Satan had already entered into the heart of Judas and that he planned to betray him. It's not like, oh, some one of these guys is going to betray me. I'll wash all their feet, you know, because I'm not sure who it is. It's Jesus going, one of these is going to betray me and it's going to be him and I'm going to wash his feet before he betrays me. Because one day he'll remember me kneeling down and washing his feet and he'll know that I knew who he was already because he'll know that I am the Son of God. And he'll remember that I loved him even though I knew that he was going to betray me. You wonder why Jesus went and, oh, Judas went and hung himself. Imagine when that reality crashed in on him. That truly He was the Son of God, meaning He knew. And He washed my feet. And so, power and love. And the last thing that He says to him is, He says discipline. In the NASB it says discipline. And in a lot of the versions it says self-control. So if you have your Bibles open already there, just turn over to um, Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. You know, I want to talk a little bit about this thing of self-control or discipline. You guys tired this morning? Huh? I am too. If I wasn't the pastor, I probably wouldn't be here. I'm just kidding. The halo is shrinking, right? I did wake up tired this morning. Um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this is talking about just the beginning of creation. This is God's heart for humanity. He takes and He forms a man out of dirt. He blows his life. He breathes the Spirit of God into the dirt that He's formed with His hands. And man comes to life. And then God plants a garden. And God causes the good fruit to grow. And God places man there. And all man's responsibility is is to steward what's been given to him. That's it. God caused it to grow. God made water come up from the ground every, every night and water the crops the exact amount that they needed so they were perfectly nourished. Man didn't have to fertilize. There were no weeds. There were no thistles before the fall. There was nothing for him to do but just to simply enjoy the fruit of what God had caused to grow. That was the beginning. That's how it started. Now flip ahead one chapter to Genesis 3, verse 17. This is after the fall now. This is after man has decided to not obey God. Says, then, he said, then to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you notice that he, he makes an accusation against Adam and the first accusation he makes against him is what? You've listened to a voice other than mine. That's where you went wrong. Eve listened to a voice, tried to argue Satan says, 
Did God say you can't touch or eat any of the fruit in the garden? Oh, no, no. We can eat and touch any fruit except for the fruit of that tree. If we touch that, we'll die. It's not what God said. God never said don't touch it. He said don't eat of it. It'd be wise not to touch it because if you never touch it, you'll never eat of it. There's wisdom in that, but that's not what God said to Adam. He never said don't touch or eat of that fruit. He said don't eat of it for the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Just picture Satan walking over, grabbing some fruit. I'm not dead. I touched it. If God was lying about that, Maybe he's lying about why you can't eat it. Maybe you really won't die. Maybe he'll become just like him and he doesn't want that. And because she's listening to another voice, because she's taken something the enemy said and she's believed it and she's added it right in. See, he just kind of planted that in there. You can't eat or touch. Oh, no, no, we can eat and touch everything. We just can't eat or touch that. She's added his words right on in, and now she's living under his word rather than the Father's word. She's listening to another voice, and it sounds good, and it's almost true. That's where we have to be really careful that we know the word of God, because if not, we'll have people come along, and they'll just add a little bit, and it'll sound so good. It'll sound so true. It'll echo his voice almost perfectly, but it's that little twist in there. Once we grab a hold of that twist, and we actually start to speak that and believe that, the next thing you know, you're set up for disaster. I'm touching it, Eve. You see me dying? God doesn't want you to be like Him. The first lie told is that there was something good the Father was withholding from His children. It's the greatest lie ever told, and it's the lie that is perpetuated unto this day to believers, that God is withholding something from you, and there's something He has that He's not giving you. So I can just picture Eve being tempted to Touch the fruit, you know, and thinking, oh man, I'd like to be like God. You already are, Eve. You were created in His image and in His likeness. You're created in His image and His likeness. You're already like Him, Eve. The only thing He's withholding from you is the one thing that would destroy you. If there's something God's keeping from you, it's not because He wants to hide it from you. It's because He doesn't want it to harm you. He is not withholding any good thing from you. There is nothing that you want that is good that He wants for you that He's withholding from you. But there may be things He's keeping you from because He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And He understands that that thing you want so desperately is the one thing that will bring disaster. And so He says, don't eat of that fruit. Why? It's not because it was the best tasting fruit in the garden. It's not because it was going to do something so amazing that if they did it, then they would be just like him and they'd be equals and all that stuff. No, no, no. He said, don't eat of that fruit. Why? Because they never were intended to know good and evil. They were only intended to know good. Everything he placed Adam in the garden, everything that he saw, he said, and God saw that it was good. You were only known to know, created to know good. Never intended to know evil. And as long as you don't eat the fruit of that tree, you'll never know evil because you'll continue in my words. Someone's playing Clash. (laughs) 
I, I've heard that sound my kids play. It's not like, not like I play a lot or anything. So Eve, now that she's bought a lie and sees that I can touch it and I don't die. See, there's so many times out there that Satan sets something up. It's a straw man. It's false. And he says, if you'll do this, this, will, this is what God said, but I'm telling you. And suddenly you find yourself doing something and you realize, hey, wait a minute. I didn't drop dead. You remember when you were little and you just were afraid there were certain things you thought if you ever did those, you'd just drop dead? Or like lightning would strike you in that instant. You know, you were just like, I just know the second I do that, the trumpet's going to sound, right? And all of a sudden you do it and then you're kind of, there's no trumpet. And I, I don't feel different. And this actually kind of feels good. Because you believe the lie that the wages of sin being death meant that it would be something that would show up in your life immediately, not realizing that you're ingesting a slow-developing death and that the longer you keep doing it, the more place you're giving it in your life. It will bring death in some area of your life. I don't care how many times you've answered an altar call, how born again you are. If you're giving in to sin, it's producing death somewhere in your life. So Eve takes the fruit. Now that she has it in her hand and she doesn't drop dead, she thinks, well, if Satan was telling the truth about this and God lied about this, then Satan must be telling the truth about that and God must have lied about that. So she takes the fruit, she eats it, and then she gives it to Adam. You ever notice people always want to include you in in their rebellion? You ever realize that? What most people call community a lot of times is common offense, not common unity. And the second that they get over their offense, the unity and the bond that they thought they had starts to disappear. Because anger can only bind you together for so long before that anger will start to turn on each other. Because that demon of anger, that, that demonic spirit of offense that is driving you to find people who have that same spirit. You know, that, that the, spirit, the spirits are always looking for each other. That's why you'd be attracted sometimes to people that you wouldn't think you would ever be attracted to. It's because that spirit that's trying to control you is looking for another spirit that's controlling somebody else. And you find people that gather together with common offense, but it can only last for so long before the thing that they were offended at no longer is good enough, and suddenly there becomes an offense within the group and they turn on each other and begin to devour each other. It will happen every single time. Because common offense is not common unity or community. If the reason you're drawn together by people that you're drawn together by, listen to me, is because you're all offended at the same thing, run. Run. Don't look back. Get healthy. Gather around Jesus. And so Eve invites her husband Adam into this and Adam doesn't want to be left out. If Eve's going to be like God, he wants to be like God. She's not dead. Do you ever have someone telling you to do something and you're like, I don't know, and they're like, I did it. As if like a red X is going to appear on their forehead or something if what they did was wrong. You know, it's like, okay, so you did it. But God's word says not to. And whether or not 
it looks like so many times if people would not listen to people saying i did it and i'm okay and actually go to the word they wouldn't fall into the trap if right then adam would have decided you know what i'm not doing it she did it yeah i don't see it in her life right now yep she's still alive but i have to believe that what god said is true even if i don't see it right now with my natural eyes that's a good position to have in life where you're just like, you know what, I know if God said it, it's true, whether I see it with my eyes or not. I know that God said that if I do that, that it would bring death, and so I'm not going to, even though right now I don't see that Eve has died, I'm not going to do what God said not to do, because I trust His Word over what I see with my own eyes. What wisdom that would have been for Adam, but instead he grabs it, and immediately God comes, and the accusation He makes against him is this. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Not because of me. See, God said, Listen, this was not my heart, but I will honor my word because he values his word, even exalts his word, even above his own name. And so he said that if you do this, there will be consequence. If you do it, there's consequence. And he said, This is because of you, Adam. The ground is now cursed. Not because of me. It's because of you. Because you were the one in charge of stewarding this. You were the one who had to walk in purity. You were the one that all you had to do was continue to do what I called you to do and it would have never happened. But because you gave your authority over, because you made a way, and because you opened the door. That's why the Bible says don't give the foot devil a foothold. He can't take one, but if you give him one, he will every single time. And he says, cursed is the ground, Adam, because of you. And in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will get bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see what happened there. In the garden is a beautiful picture of life under the law and life under the Spirit. My shoe? Oh, you're afraid I'm going to trip? I, dude, my toe is hurting. Actually, it's not anymore, but it was last night. You want to know? I'm going to tell you anyway, so just say yes, and you'll be on the winning team. All right. Feels good to be a winner, right? Um, so my son has a dirt bike. He wanted me to start it. I told him no. But my son is the most persistent being on the face of this earth. And so I realized that I probably should just go try to start it. I knew it wasn't going to start. It sat for too long, and I needed to change the spark plug and stuff. So I went out there, and I, I had my socks on, so I had a pair of boots in the garage. So I put one boot on the foot that I was going to kick the, kick st- the Kickstarter with, and I stood the thing up, and I didn't pull the kickstand up. And so I'm standing with my foot like this, and I went to kick it. And when I did, the bike straightened up, and then it sat back down, and the kickstand came back down on my toe. And I walked around going, This hurts. And I told him, I said, do you see what you did? <laughs> Teaching him young that nothing's your responsibility, right? No, and, uh, and so um, I was like, man, this thing hurts. And I was thinking, after a while, I was in the house, and I was just kind of reading some scripture and doing some stuff, and I thought, that thing really hurts. So I pulled my sock off, and it's like crushed and purple and the nails ha- hanging off. So yeah, you wanted to hear that, I can tell. I might put Anna Ivy into labor. <laughs> Get that baby out here. <laughs> and, um, 
So anyways, I don't know what that has to do with the fruit, but... Well, last night I was sitting there and I thought, this is stupid. I know I'm not supposed to live, you know, with this physical pain like this, but I can't deny there's something wrong with my toe. And so, uh, being so full of faith, I just said, God, take the pain away. And, it, and it's gone, so that's awesome. I didn't quite have the faith for the nail to grow back. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It's where my faith was at at the moment. I'll settle for no pain for right now. Anyways, um, wow. Oh yeah, so here's what happens. It's a beautiful picture of, of life under the law and life under the Spirit. Under the Spirit, which was the way man was born, which is the way the first Adam came into, the, into this world, all he had to do was simply enjoy the fruit of what God was doing. That's it. He didn't have to work for it. He didn't have to pick weeds and watch over what came in and try to take the thistles and tear the weed out and all that stuff. All he had to do was simply just enjoy, be obedient, walk in obedience, walk with God, listen to and hear His words, and enjoy the fruit of what God did and eat the fruit of the work of God. That was what his responsibility was. And then as soon as sin enters the world, suddenly God says, okay, now you're going to eat, but it's going to be by your toil. You're going to have to work for it. It's no longer you just enjoying what I have done. Now there's something required of you if you want to eat. And so this, this whole thing changed, right? And so in the, you know, under the way that man was intended, the way the first Adam was born was that he walked in relationship with the Father and enjoyed the work of the Father's hands as it produced fruit. And he enjoyed and he lived off of that. Then Adam sins and sin enters the world and, and by the sin of one were all made sinners. And so sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, now God looks at him and says, okay, you're still going to have to eat to live, but now you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to toil. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow and the work of your hands it's going to be by your works that you'll be fed it's no longer you sit back and enjoy what i planted now if you want something to grow you have to actually take a seed and go put it in the ground and if you want it to be watered you have to make sure it gets watered and if it needs to be fertilized you have to fertilize it and you have to pick the thorns and the thistles because now those are going to grow and they're going to try to choke out the thing that you did and you're going to have to fight and it's going to be hard and you're going to work and you're going to sweat and it's still going to never be as good as it was when it was just me and you were living under the spirit it's okay don't worry don't leave please um and so paul's reminding timothy was that like rebellion bound up in the heart of a child (laughs) there's something coming with that So this, the Spirit of God, which He breathed into Adam, I believe that when Adam ate the fruit, I can't prove this Scripture, this is my thought, but when Adam ate the fruit, that he breathed out the Spirit, and that he became able to die because of that. And this is why I believe that when Jesus talks to the disciples, and they now are coming to the end, it says He breathed on them. 
right? I believe it was that same breath. I believe that God breathed into Adam. He then received that breath back and He held it until the second Adam came. And when the second Adam came, when Jesus died on the cross, when He was in the grave, I believe the same breath that God breathed into the dust and created Adam, He breathed into the second Adam, Jesus, while He was laying in the ground in a tomb and it brought Him back to life. And then Jesus breathed that breath on His disciples and brought them to life. And now they're born again. Born the first time into Adam. Born the second time into Christ. Born the first time into the sin of Adam. Born the second time into the obedience of Christ. Born the first time into a world where you have to work for every bit of fruit that we will produce. Born the second time back into the understanding of I don't have to work to produce fruit. I just live and enjoy and yield to the Father and He produces fruit in me. And that's the parallel from the garden and with our lives. And so, he said that the Spirit of God would lead us and guide us in all truth. And so, we give this Spirit, it's not of, of timidity, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Right? And so, this Spirit comes and leads us in a truth. What truth? God said two things. Jesus said two things. The whole Gospel is wrapped up in these two things. One, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. The second, he said in Matthew 16, 24, says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The whole of the gospel is centered on those two verses. Every single bit of it. For the first time, when Adam ate the fruit, he chose himself over God, and selfishness entered into the world for the first time. It was never intended to be there. He chose what he wanted over what God said. And selfishness entered in. That's what sin is. It's selfishness. And for the first time, man became selfish. And so, the law came to control selfishness. Think about it. All the law is, is keeping you from living at others' expense. Don't steal. Why? Because selfishness says, if I see something I want and it belongs to somebody else, I take it. So to control the selfish nature, God said, don't steal. Don't kill. Why? Because selfishness says, I deserve to live more than they do. They deserve to die. It's self. Don't want your neighbor's wife. Why? Because selfishness says, I want what he has. Don't want his house, his manservant, his maidservant, his cattle, his sheep, nor anything of his. Why? Because selfishness says, I want everything that you have and I want it at your expense. I want to take it from you because I want it and I want what I want more than I want what you want. It's selfishness. So the law comes to control selfishness, but it can never stop it. People are still selfish. They just now have a way to know what they can and can't do to keep them from living selfishly. But it's an external thing. And it's by their work and by the sweat of their brow that they eat the fruit of selflessness. It's not by simply enjoying what God did the way He intended it in the garden. It's through their hard work and you could never work hard enough to keep it at bay forever. And so, the second Adam comes and lives a selfless life, and he never once has a selfish moment, ever. Ever. Jesus never once was selfish. Every single thing that he did was for the Father and for the sake of other people. He had plenty of opportunity to be selfish, didn't he? I mean, plenty of opportunities. Even the very last thing said to him before he leaves. He's on a cross, and they look up at him, the one who's dying for them, and say, you're going to save the world? 
You can't even save yourself. If you're the Son of God, do what every man in your position would do if he had the power you had and preserve yourself at the expense of others. That's the temptation. You live at the expense of everyone. It's the last temptation to be selfish that Jesus would face is He's on a cross dying for every single person that ever was and ever would be. And the temptation is live at all of their expense. And Jesus, once again, completely selfless, chooses to give up His life and die so that everyone else could live. And then He said, as the Father sends Me into the world, so also send I you. You're born into Adam. You're born selfish. Think about it. You will not have to teach Emery. I promise you, you will not have to teach the babies how to be selfish. They'll learn mine real fast. Mine. Mine. Over and over again. And it doesn't just go away on its own. Something has to die in order for selfishness to be gone. And that's why God made it possible for man to die so that we could be born again. You were buried into death into baptism with Christ and raised again into newness of life. You lived for yourself. When you saw the moment that you had to die, you gave up your own life. Selfishness no longer rules you. The spirit of this world that was in you is now gone when you're buried into baptism and you're raised to newness of life in Christ. How did Christ live? Selflessly. And so this spirit that comes is not self-control in the way of like walking around going, all right, I can control myself. Not that way, right? It's the spirit of controlling self. When the spirit of God leads you, it says that if you are walking after the spirit, you will put to death the uh, the deeds of the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is selfishness. It's the temptation to live selfishly. It's the temptation to live at others' expense for mine. And the spirit that we received of God is a spirit of self-control. It's a spirit of, it says, discipline. It's a spirit of controlling self. Why? Not because we're trying so hard to control ourselves, but because we've found someone else who we've yielded once again to the control of. It's not by the work of our hands and the sweat of our brow any longer that we eat the fruit of selflessness. It's now by once again what the God has planted and what God is producing. It's the fruit of the Spirit that we don't work to produce. We yield to His Word and yield to His plan and it is produced in us through him just like in the garden it's not by trying to control yourself listen look at that screen right there just look at it you realize while you're looking at that not one of you guys wanted to look at that speaker but if i said to you right now don't look at that speaker do not look at that speaker right now you might not be looking at it but i promise you're thinking about it It didn't even enter into your mind before I mentioned that you shouldn't do it. That's what the law does. It stirs up a desire for something. But what Jesus does, what walking by the Spirit, what walking under the Spirit of self-control does is that you've found something else that you're yielded to that makes you, when you're looking at it, you're not even looking at anything else. I wasn't going to share this, but it's okay if I talk about the pictures because it's kind of what happened, right? Well, I put it on Facebook anyway, so most of you guys probably already know. Guys, you can cover your wife's ears at this moment if you want to because I'm about to put the bar up pretty high. That's what I've been told anyways. 
So we, we got our pictures taken, our family pictures. We got professional photography done. And I talked to a guy that I know and asked him if he could order some prints for me. And uh, he's a professional photographer, and he said, yeah, he could order them for me. And, and he went ahead, and, and he ordered them, and, and got, we got this amazing deal on these huge, thick, um, wrapped canvases, uh, 36 by 24 inches. And so we got three pictures to put in our house. And I was gone. I went to the grocery store to get something. And while I was there, I decided I'd get Patty some wildflowers that I saw. And so I picked those up, and I got home, and I just couldn't wait to give her these flowers. And so I get home, I walk through the front door, and I see her. As I'm walking up the walk, I can see where she is. She's over by the sliding glass door in the back of the house. Like, you walk in the front door, and she's straight ahead. And so I came through the door, I walked in, and I'm just looking at her. I want to give her these flowers. And so I walk in, and I I hand her these. I said, you know, I got all the groceries. I hand her the flowers. I said, I wanted to get these for you. And she's like, looks at me kind of funny, you know, and she's like, do you notice anything different about the house? I turn around and look. I'm like, smells like peppermint. She's like, you don't, you don't see anything different. I'm like, did you guys rearrange the living room? I'm, now I'm grasping, you know. <laughs> I'm looking at her like she didn't cut her hair that quickly, you know, while I was gone or something. And they're like, walk in the living room again. I walk in and there are those pictures staring at me, leaned up against the couch and the entertainment center. I mean, they're huge. And they're standing there, they're bright colored, and they're right there. The thing was, I never noticed that they were there because of what I was looking at. That's what the Spirit of God controlling us is. It's not me saying, don't look at the pictures, don't look at the pictures, don't look at the pictures. I didn't even know the pictures were there because of who I did know was there. And if our lives, if we take this self-control thing to mean I have to control myself, we're going to take it as a work, and once again, we will eat, but it will be by the sweat of our brow and the toil of our hands, and we'll have to fight thorns and thistles and all the stuff that came with the fall. What we can do if we're born again is actually yield to the spirit of the control of self. And if we walk according to the spirit, we'll put to death the deeds of the flesh. But you won't be thinking about putting to death the deeds in the f- of the flesh. You'll be thinking about walking yielded to the Spirit. It's where your focus and perspective are. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, Timothy, that Spirit that He gave you, it will control every bit of self that you had in you because you're now born again and you're no longer alive for you. You've put that to death. You have crucified that on the cross and the devil will come and try to get you to live selfishly once again. I promise you he's not done with you when you become born again. In fact, he's really after you at that point because now you have something worth stealing. You notice when the birds of the air came in the parable of the sower after the seed was sown? Why didn't they come before that? It says, then the birds of the air came. Why didn't they come before that? There was nothing worth stealing there. He'll probably just leave you alone to your own devices. Living selfishly, you don't even need his help. You'll get yourself into more trouble than he could even probably dream up on himself anyways, just living selfishly. He'll take you to all kinds of places you don't want to be. But this spirit that we've been given is not a spirit, it's not the fruit of self-control. And this is something I just want to point out. I'm going to close with this. When Paul here writes, we have a spirit of self-control. It's this Greek word. I have it somewhere. 
think. Well, you're just going to have to take my word for it. I'm right. You can look it up. Wait, do I have it in here? Ah, okay, yeah. The word that he uses here for discipline or self-control, depending how your Bible interprets it, is one that he only uses once in the whole New Testament. This is the only place he uses that word. And it's a word, sophronismos, which means disciplined and controlled. And its root word is a word that's only used one other place in the Bible. So you have a word and a root word, and these words are only used twice in the whole New Testament. The first time is this word sophronismos, which means discipline and control. The second time is when Paul's writing to Titus, and he says, the older women should sophrono the younger women. It's that root word your Bible has interpreted as teach. that soothing music that comes in behind so I can so I can bring it home it's okay to laugh in church you guys come on I promise you the reason you can laugh is because you're creating the image and the likeness of a God who laughs it's just what you laugh at that he wants to redeem he's not mad when you're laughing he laughs with you probably it's what you laugh at that he wants to change So this word here that he's using when he says in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, total different word. Why? One is talking about the spirit of control of self. The other is talking about a fruit that that will produce in your life, which is that you will be self-controlled. So what is he saying? He's saying he's given you this. He's given you this spirit that will control selfishness in your life if you will yield to it and let that produce fruit in your life the way you did in the garden. And you'll live by what I'm doing and what I've done. And you will have nothing to do but steward what I've given you and enjoy the fruit of my labors. It's the fruit of Jesus' labor that the spirit of self-control comes upon us. And one of the fruit that he produces is self-control. You can't ask God to make you more self-controlled. It's like asking Him to make you more patient. He has given you all the patience He's going to give you. It's you yielding to the Holy Spirit that's within you who is patience that you become a more patient person. You don't ask God, God, make me more kind. He has placed every bit of kindness in you that He can give. He has no more kindness left to give because He placed the Spirit of God within you who is kind. And the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. He's not, there's not something out there. And this is something we have to understand. It's a different theology than saying, these things are out there and I'm praying God puts them in versus understanding, no, those things are within you and by yielding to what God has done in your life, you'll produce them out here. It's totally different. It's not that there's peace and kindness and gentleness and mercy and and love and all that stuff is out there and I'm praying, oh God, would you just make me more patient? God, would you just give me more kindness? He can't answer that prayer the way you want Him to because He placed it within you and you have to yield and enjoy the fruit of what He's planted in you the way that you did in the garden.
And so, you know what? Let's just say that for next week. Yeah. We'll just end there. If there's something that you want that you read about in the Word and you read, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle, love is long-suffering, doesn't rejoice with wrong, doesn't consider a wrong suffered, love hopes all things, believes all things. If you see that you read through the fruit of the Spirit and you take that like a measuring stick and you say, well, I must not be that Spirit-filled because I only see two of the of them uh, in my life. And well, sometimes there's this one off and on. So I guess God still hasn't given me that fruit yet. If there's something that you read through that list and you feel like is lacking in your life, it's not because God needs to give you something. It's because you need to yield to the one He has given you already. You actually need to believe, God, I thank You that You have changed me and that I've become a patient person. And right now, I just yield to Your Spirit, God, and I allow the fruit of patience to reproduce itself in my life. That'll be for next week, yeah. So if there is anything right now that you want, just, just, just take a moment before we leave and just respond to what God said this morning. And let's just thank Him that it's no longer by the sweat of our brow and the work of our hands that we enjoy fruit, but it's once again the way it was intended to be in the garden that we enjoy the fruit of His labor. That says, and He caused the fruit to grow. And when He talked to Adam, He said, because you've chosen self, Because you've chose to serve yourself, you'll still eat of it, but now it will come through your toil. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, including the ability to live not by the work of our hands, but to enjoy the fruit of His. So God, I just thank You that we would yield ourselves fully to the Spirit of love and power and self-control that we would walk according to Your Word. That we would not walk through this life focusing on what we're not to look at, what we're not to do, where we're not to go, but we would focus on the one we are to look at, the one we are to do, the one we are to go with. And that in doing so, all those things just grow strangely dim. Because we're looking at the One who's so beautiful, so perfect, so worthy. God, I just ask if there's anybody listening right now that's living by the sweat of their brow and the toil of their hands that You would come and just speak to their heart and just show them the better way. Lead them back into that place of the garden of intimacy with You, of enjoying the fruit of Your hands and Your labor and simply stewarding all that we've been given wisely. In Jesus' name. Amen.